Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 340 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Award Goes To, an interview with Haley Hecking. My name is Danny Tiger. And I'm Matt Sabatello, and I'm so happy to be here today with Danny, who's one of my favorite co-hosts that Rich has been stealing from me lately. So I'm even more excited to finally get her back from Rich. And Haley was just a brilliant podcast guest. And the dynamic Danny and Haley had together simply blew me away. She was an absolutely amazingly beautiful and inspiring and extremely intelligent young woman. And she was so kind to open up her heart and share her story. And at the end of the day, she really told us what actually gets the award for making her sick. So if you want to find out more about Haley, check out this amazing podcast. Well, hello, Miss Haley. Welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. We are so excited to talk to you today. There's just so much to talk about. So before we jump into your Lyme story and welcome you to our Tick Bootcamp Lyme community, we'd love to just get to know you personally a little bit more. So can you tell us your name and a little bit about yourself and um, where you come from, where you live, what's your sitch, and we'll get going. Yeah, well, hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Haley Hecking. My first name is spelled with a G, so I don't blame anyone who says it wrong the first time. Um, I am an actress. Uh, I'm from the Bay Area, uh, Los Gatos, California, but right when I turned 18, moved down to LA, you know, pursue the career. I was a model, um, but never really found, I don't know, I never really found my heart in that. And um, found acting. And, you know, once I found that, I mean, it was just, it was just history, fell in love with it, um, worked towards it every single day. And um, yeah, that's. <laughs> All right. That's amazing. So you are currently living in LA, you said? Uh, not at the moment. It's, it's weird to say because I still had my apartment in LA. I just wasn't at it. Um actually right when I moved to a new place. So I had my whole lease and everything there, my roommate there, but I went up uh, to Reno. My parents moved to Reno and um, when I got sick, so I've, I've been in Reno with them. Okay. Okay. I see. Well, I love Reno. I'm actually, we have a business up in Reno. And so if you're looking for peace, that is the place to go, at least like Lake Tahoe area. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. You are a West coast gal, Cali girl. You've, you were born and raised in California. Yes, born and raised California Bay Area, but um, actually on a wet farm ranch style uh, property in the mountains of <laughs> the Bay Area. So when people hear Bay Area, they think Silicon Valley and tech and and all that stuff. But no, I was uh, on a wet wooded farm, which I guess is brings wow. me here now to <laughs> the tick <laughs> yeah, tick boot camp. That's different. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Like your growing up and your childhood, what did that look like? You you mentioned that um, you know, you're following your dream of doing acting, but how did that start? Like, can we go back a little bit to how you grew up and kind of how you came towards that that dream? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I grew up. I mean, I, I was a very outdoorsy kid, uh, over the summers, my dad, my dad's rule for us was we weren't allowed inside until it was sunset. Um, mostly due to the mountain lions that would start, uh, crawling around. So I was out in the Creek catching minnows, playing in stinging nettle, poison oak, poison ivy, you name it. We had dogs, um, like 30 cats cause we'd rescue cats and then bring them to our property catching salamanders. I mean, 
you name it, the whole, (laughs) you were like a wilderness gal. That is, Mm -hmm. I'm not a worthy type myself. So that sounds very intense to me. (laughs) Cows, chicken, pigs, you name it. (laughs) Everything but horses. I really wanted horses, but my mom, uh, my mom thought I'd get myself killed on a horse. So (laughs) never had the horses though. So you were really like a very active child and like playing. Mm -hmm. Did you have, you have brothers and sisters? Yeah. Two older brothers, two older brothers doing, getting into the same shenanigans that I was getting into. <laughs> oh, okay. Now it makes a little sense to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your older brothers. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you, how, how was growing up? You were very active. Did you ever feel sick growing up or how, how, what was that like? Um, I think, well, my parents went through a divorce pretty young, so, uh, it's hard to, differentiate at least for myself personally like when symptoms started I mean even to this day um, it's still a possibility that I was born with this Um, my mom is from the east coast uh, and so you know that's where uh, they say that there's just a bunch of Lyme and tick-borne illness Um, but my first memory um, actually was around four or five years old and I had a tick bite behind my ear so uh, feeling sick probably would have started early on early on for me, um, you know, shortly after I got the, uh, ADHD diagnosis in elementary school, middle school, is it ADHD? Is it tick-borne illness? I mean, you know, the question remains. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you started to see a lot of symptoms pretty early on in life, which is something that we found here talking with people on the podcast that there's so many misconceptions when it comes to Lyme. I mean, endless misconceptions. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a huge factor that you can't get Lyme, right? If you're, you know, on the, on the West coast, um, which is a misconception. And then we've also heard from a lot of people that, um, you know, being born with it, it, it being, you know, passed on and transferred on from, from your, the mother and the womb and all that is something mm. that is a lot more common than people would realize. And hey Danny, on, on that note, I'm curious to ask Haley, Haley, has your mom ever been tested or your dad ever been tested for Lyme, especially if your mom came from the East Coast where Lyme is more prevalent and you were mm-hmm. sick at such a young age? I mean, congenital Lyme is being proven every single day to be more and more common than we thought, right? So mm-hmm. have you ever tested your parents? Do you, you know, do you think that's a strong likelihood? Yeah, I, um, I've been talking to my mom about it. I think she's definitely very, very open to it. Um, she actually just recently after, and we'll get to this, you know, meeting my new doctor. Now I I was diagnosed with Lyme, um, over a year ago, I got my positive tests from Igenics, but it took until just now for people to actually agree with, um, or, well, actually tick-borne illness diagnosis. I'll say that, uh, as we get more into it, but, um, well, yeah, it's, gonna... everyone's just now getting on board and officially being like, oh, okay, so it's not psychosis, it's not conversion disorder. She's <laughs> it doesn't have Munchausen. Something's actually terribly wrong with her and her immune system. Oh, <laughs> uh, you were making okay. me, Danny, very angry because all those misdiagnoses just delay the inevitable treatment you need and make it harder mm-hmm. and harder to recover from these tick-borne illnesses. So we're gonna get there. But I know Danny mm-hmm. still wants to go through more of your background, your life before Lyme, because you know, you got sick when you were young but it sounds like you didn't get really sick until later on in life. So can you continue to walk us through what life was like as a child going to school in LA and, you know, having these weird health challenges, but still being a quote unquote normal child, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, I, I, after my parents got divorced, you know, I, it's hard to say what was like PTSD versus 
um, what was just like neurological symptoms of uh, tick-borne illness. But um, I did, I did get diagnosed with um, uh, ADHD, uh, panic disorder, and anxiety disorder. Um, actually, my first year of high school, I was on home hospital instruction from agoraphobia. And a few years prior to that, I um, had to go, I was treated at Stanford for um, anxiety. I didn't have a, I had, they labeled it as disordered eating um, uh, because I choked on food one time and developed like an OCD about um, choking again, a fear, and I just wouldn't eat food. I would just stick to liquids because I was just so scared. Um, and these were just very compulsive and <laughs> obsessive behaviors, lots of anxiety and panic attacks for no reason. I mean, I hadn't even hit 10 years old yet. And I <laughs> was having panic attacks. So, um, definitely not normal compared to my brothers. Um, and then, you know, the other kids my age and, and, uh, yeah, definitely very anxious, I would say. Oh, well, I definitely don't want to roll over all the things that you're sharing with us, because I think a lot of times people just think, oh, I grew up and, you know, yeah, my parents this, or I had anxiety that, and it's like, you know, this is your life. This is something that you're living with every day. And, you know, as a Lyme patient myself, it's like going through normal life stress factors with the addition of something physically that's going wrong in your body. It just compiles and it's so hard. I, personally, I didn't start, you know, experiencing a lot of these things until much older. So I, I just have so much compassion for you that when you were so young and having to deal with this and just, you know, the Munchausen's, I'm like, it's making, it is making me and Matt very angry because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you're a child and you, you know, you don't know what's going on with you. And so to have to battle that simultaneously while you're going through all of these physical symptoms, you know, that's, that's really, really tough. So I'm really sorry that you had to go through that, but it, I mean, it definitely sounds like it's made you a lot stronger and very resilient, which is something I would love to get into when, when we talk about what's going on with you now. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so maybe you can tell us a little bit, like, how did it turn from the ADHD diagnosis and some of these quote unquote diagnoses that you were getting? When did the page kind of turn into where you could even consider Lyme? Like, where was the first time that you even heard about Lyme disease? Or did you learn about it like in school? Or did, did your parents even know about it with being from the East Coast? Or can you tell me a little bit about that? So <laughs> actually, I heard about Lyme when I was probably seven, eight years old. Um, my, <laughs> my brother... Uh, was bit by a tick and my mom actually got the tick and sent it to a lab to have it tested for Lyme and it came back indeterminate um, just inconclusive and um, I mean that's I, I would love for my whole family to get tested for Lyme disease but my goodness gracious do I wish that it were more affordable um, <laughs> you know to just be able to have your whole family tested and um, you know it's as we know it's you can't just walk into a, a lab corp and just do a standard Lyme test. I mean, it's most of the time going to come back negative. Um, but that was the first time I'd heard of it, um, when I was a kid and I just thought, Oh, like that's a very rare thing. Like very, very rare thing. It sounds a little scary, but very rare was, you know, my impression, like this isn't going to happen to me. And this um, was in LA Haley, correct? This was in the Silicon Valley. So the Silicon, Bay okay. area, uh, South but, Bay area. And back then, I mean, Lyme was almost believed to not exist in California at all, right? Back back in mm -hmm. that day. I mean, so here we are. You're getting bit by a tick. You're getting tested. It's it comes back indeterminate with your brother. It's on your radar. Is your brother is your brother sick or is he just 
you know, asymptomatic or luckily enough, he didn't get a tick-borne infection and went on with his life at that point. Yeah, he, um, I mean, he has his own little health things, but nothing that is disabling him or really bringing it to his, the front of his mind. Um, my mom and I kind of have some questions about some like, you know, digestive things that he has going on, um, which as we know, can be, you know, tied back to Lyme disease. But um, I've, I've also just learned in my own time, like the way that like men and women's immune systems handle it is different. So it's not uncommon for symptoms to show up differently. Um, my doctor said it's like the TH1, TH2, um, something having to do with TH1 and TH2, but he doesn't have any problems. I mean, I, I don't think he has Lyme, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did, or he, he doesn't look as if he has Lyme, which is so hard to say because a lot of people like they, like I look healthy as well. Like there, you can look at someone and say, Oh, that looks like a normal person, but they're just dying on the inside. So, um, I guess it's the sh the short or the long answer to, I really hope he doesn't have it because <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> so I just, for our listeners, I want to share, I mean, not to be, not to be too weird about anything, but Haley, you know, you, you look amazing. You look healthy. Right. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to reinforce this uh, horrible stigma, right. Or that's not this horrible stigma, this horrible misconception that just because you look good doesn't mean you can't feel like crap on the inside. Right. But mm -hmm, looking at you, I would never know that you're sick. Right. So mm -hmm. you must face that every single day. And I'm sure, you know, that's a battle that, that you struggle with, but I do want to focus on the immune system piece of it because it is interesting and in how our immune systems respond to various pathogens and infections. And you mentioned your doctor explaining this to you. And for whatever reason, Lyme seems to be more heavily impacting the female community based on our experience at Tick Boot Camp. So Rich and I, and I think Danny as, as well, have seen that most of the people we, we talk to on social media or even on just through our website and people finding us from Google searches are females that are more heavily impacted by late stage Lyme disease. Now, I believe, and it's just a guess, that this is correlated because the immune system responds better in men than it does in women. Some people don't believe that. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you agree with that? It sounds like your doctor supports that as well. Or do you think that's just a, a stereotype that's not really an accurate stereotype there? I normally find myself keeping up pretty well in a doctor's office because it's stuff that I've researched on myself, researched myself and, you know, I mean, I, I hit the internet and like to say I got my MD, my medical degree online from how much I was, I mean, looking up on, on this disease, but the, the doctor I'm with now, and his name's uh, Dr. Kenny De, De uh, Merle. He, I mean, he says things and gives me new concepts and more understanding of this to where I, I, I probably won't be able to translate it or say it as well as he does, but yeah, he said, because I, I asked him, I said, why does this happen to women more than it does men? Because I mean, my gosh, the amount of times I walked into a doctor's office or was at a hospital and they call in psych or, uh, I mean, they've even given me Haldol, which is an antipsychotic against my will, thinking that I was having some type of a mental breakdown. I mean, it just gets crazy with them, the, the misogyny and sexism for sure. But he was explaining uh, it's TH1 or TH2. Um, I think he said it was TH1 um, and just women's immune system. I mean, it's, it really just goes down to the immune system and just, just those genetics. Wow. That's really interesting. I'm sorry, Dana, I keep stepping on your toes on your part of the interview. And I was going to step back, but I, I digress again for, uh, for Danny to go through your background with you. No, I love that. I mean, we have completely different perspectives. I mean, I 
definitely don't claim to be a health practitioner or ever try to give any <laughs> advice. I just know my own personal story. And like you, Haley, it's like, we are, you know, gaslit so much and we are just completely misunderstood so much. And I, just, I feel like you're similar to myself. It's like, we, you know, we have a strength within us. It's like, we don't want to be sick. We don't choose to be sick. And, you know, you have your dreams of acting, which you are absolutely crushing right now in the moment. <laughs> and, Thank you. you, know, Thank I, you. I have dreams as well. And it's like, when you have something holding you back, it, you almost get to a desperate point where it's like, you're willing to do anything to get better. And for our community, it's like, we have to advocate for ourselves, you know, and nobody else is going to do it for us, especially when it comes to something like Lyme disease. That's just, it's just so completely misunderstood. Although now um, I know I'm super grateful that for, you know, the, the podcast here and a lot of other um, people in the community are, are kind of raising their voices up. And it's so a lot of things are becoming a little bring brought more to light. Um, so that I appreciate very much, but yeah, I'm sorry. Just going back to your your personal story and, and where you're at with everything. Um, so it sounds like, you know, maybe you you got to a point where you were kind of fed up with everything. So I know you more recently got very physically sick and things changed a lot for you. But was there a moment where you, you know, were getting all these misdiagnoses and you were getting sick and everything and, and things kind of switched for you. Can you tell us about that and, and what changed for you? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I call these two separate flares, but I mean, I, they could really just be the same one, but in, um, December of 2020, uh, actually a, a few weeks before that I was on a walk with my roommate and I, I was a very active person. I mean, I might sound like a broken record cause this, <laughs> it seems like everyone, uh, Lyme really just hits, uh, hits when you're at your best, but running five miles a day. And when I say running, at least attempting to run all five miles, I'm not going to say that I was <laughs> very athletic, but I tried. Yeah. It was a run, a run, walk, run, walk <laughs> every <laughs> for five miles every day, uh, to a coffee shop. Um, <laughs> very active, you know, doing a bunch of auditions, very, you know, just girl bossing independent LA life. And I was on a walk with my roommate in uh, Toluca Lake, love the houses there, just love looking at, you know, all the beautiful architecture. And um, it felt like, I remember the exact moment where I was standing, but it felt like a bomb went off in my body of like day and night fatigue. All of a sudden, I just felt my arms heavy, uh, my stamina went down. Um, and I was like, whoa, and I stopped walking. And I'm like, yeah, let's just uh, go home. I thought that... Um, my Epstein bar had reactivated because I had mono 2012 and then 2018, I was very sick and, um, no one could figure out what it was. I was in and out of the hospital fevers, night sweats, you name it. And it took them, it even took them three months and me going to the ER being wheeled in in a wheelchair and the doctor like did a different blood test. And I was like, Oh, you know, you have mono. Right. And I was like, okay, <laughs> All right. Okay. So I, it felt like, oh, well, this is just mono, you know, maybe this is me just getting mono again. Um, I tried to sleep it off. It never really went away. Um, but the stamina feeling and the, the exhaustion and, and like muscle fatigue felt like, um, Epstein-Barr mono. Um, I eventually met with a specialist cause it wasn't going away and I was testing negative for mono. I was testing negative for everything. And, um, 
uh, specialist, Dr. Susan Levine in New York, she diagnosed me with chronic fatigue syndrome and she just prescribed me um, an antiviral, um, said, oh, well, you have Epstein-Barr antibodies. It's probably Epstein-Barr uh, reactivated. And I was like, well, it doesn't show that I have active Epstein-Barr virus. It's just showing antibodies. And she explained, oh, well, still it could reactivate, um, which is still confusing to me to this day, but we'll go more into that later. And um, so I took that. My parents also just so happened to be a neighbor to an ER doctor who also works at a clinic called the Gerber Clinic and where they do more functional medicine, um, IV treatment. So I went there um, and I did two days of ozone, but the bubble ozone, not the blood ozone, where they just bubble the, it, it looks, it looks kind of cool. Um, and I did a, what they call a, um, I forgot what it was called, but it was like an amino acid cocktail and then a colloidal silver IV. Okay. And eventually it went away. And thank goodness it did because I had booked my first show and had to go film that, which I did and everything went great. And then, um, can seven I, can months I, later, can I pause you here? I'm sorry. Can we, can yeah, we pause for a second? Of course. So can you just explain for our listeners what bubble ozone is compared to blood ozone? Cause I know we know blood ozone is they take the blood out of your body. They, mm-hmm. they mix it with ozone to purify it, kill things, you know, help boost your immune system, et cetera. And put that blood back into your body. What is this bubble ozone you refer to? Can you describe? So that? I just call it the bubble ozone. I mean, I hate to say, but when they when it's like it's the same thing. It's except they um they just bubble it in uh it's the ozone going straight into saline, um and it just if you look up at it, it looks like a like a bubble. It just looks like a bong or something. I don't know. That's just being dripped <laughs> into. I just see the bubbles and you know my lime brain. I'm just gonna think of the first word I can think of. So I just look at it and say bubbles. <laughs> so the bubble IV. It. <laughs> so the bubble ozone IV with saline and colloidal silver helped you, I'd say, recover from this first bout of Lyme before you knew it was Lyme, right? And it, g- it got you symptom free to go do your first show, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now, b- b- so oh, sorry, thought, Danny. No, it's okay. Just when you were doing this, though, you weren't necessarily thinking this is a Lyme flare-up. This was just- absolutely not. Yeah, I was just diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Just mystery i mean well, just not on the radar <laughs> no no they did more labs at the clinic and they saw a lot of antibodies to viruses and infections i'd had in the past um no active infection and they were just saying oh bug soup um like they were they were treating just based off of antibody antibodies like, I, I don't know kind of kind of going in a little bit blind but i mean with the testing that we have easily available here you kind of have to go in a little bit blind at first um, they called it a bug soup, like as far as like, yeah, like I, a, I was a just bug called bug soup, like bug wow. soup, like I like the Epstein Barr virus, uh, mycoplasma pneumonia, antibodies, never really an active infection, um, and just little different things here and there. I'll have to, I can't remember all of them, but those were the two that they just said, oh well, you know, the second they saw Epstein Barr virus, I mean, that was just, but. In their minds, were they saying, hey, you have all these things, you have Epstein-Barr virus from Epstein-Barr virus from mono, you have all these other things going on. Oh, it must be causing you to have chronic fatigue syndrome and you got to live it the rest of your life. Is that was that like the, the mentality they were telling you that this is a real thing, but it's chronic fatigue syndrome and it's just something you have to live with? And and that was the approach. I mean, because generally chronic fatigue syndrome is something they tell you they can cure, right? Um I couldn't get the, I I was given the chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis, but I hadn't been sick for six months, which you need the fatigue for persisting for at least six months for the official diagnosis. 
but I mean, they looked at me, they saw, I mean, at that time I was like maybe 22 years old. Um, so they just saw a young girl active, you know, probably just got a little sick, a little rundown. Maybe it's Epstein-Barr virus, maybe not. They weren't really too concerned looking at me. And the fact that I wasn't as severe, it was, it was just more so inconvenient. I was still mm. able to function, um, but it felt like I had just severe mono, no other symptoms, just the awful fatigue and no stamina. I mean, losing my breath at every single moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was no case really opened about me. There was no investigation. There was no, okay, let's find out what's going on. No mention of tick-borne illness, no mention of any other possibilities or, um, I, I was also actually, I, I, I forgot this part. My TPOs were a little bit elevated. So I was, uh, they were trying to go down the Hashimoto thyroiditis, um, diagnosis as well. So, so before we fast forward, I think you're, you're going to go there. Can you just focus with Danny a little bit about you, you said you, you now we're going to go shoot, you know, your first show, right? So what were you doing in your career? I mean, Danny and you being in the same industry, can you talk to us about where your career was going and how your health was impacting at all? If it was your pursuits to advance your career in the acting field. Um, I, at that point, so that show, um, was my first job ever as an actor. I, um, got started in 2018. I found my coach and I was like, well, I, I don't want to just hop into acting. I want to get good first. So I worked with a coach for a bit over a year before I even got represented. And then once I got represented, I mean, the auditioning process, it takes, it definitely takes a while to get traction because all the casting directors and producers and directors, they don't know you. Um, you can be good at what you do, but there's a lot of trust. Like, okay, if this person's good, but they have no history, can we trust them to lead a show for seven months, every single day, potentially 17 hours, every single day? Can they handle that pressure? Are they going to be good on set? So it takes a long time. It does take a long time um, to get your first gig and uh, putting in that work, you know, doing all the auditions and, and, um, and working with my coach for hours on end. I mean, I enjoyed it. I, there was no fatigue in me. I didn't feel sick. Um, I was living for it. It scratched my ADHD brain in the right way. I had something to do. I had so much energy to spend. And, um, it wasn't until after I had booked the job and a few weeks later that I noticed that I was getting sick. So my personal theory was like the stress and excitement of it all kind of catching up with me that really just took a toll on my immune system for sure. Yeah, I think, well, that's, that's the, I think the part that people don't realize when it comes to maybe like quote unquote artistry in careers, it's like, oh, if you have a talent or a gift for doing this sort of creative thing, if you're pursuing it as a career and as a business, there's a whole business aspect to it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. obviously people know that, you know, the entertainment industry is in and of itself is extremely difficult, but mm. even just speaking with you, Haley, I'm amazed right now because with your Lyme brain, as you call it, which I do the same thing, <laughs> um, our Lyme brains and, um, just emotionally everything that we're going through and then mentally, you know, our physical brain, the things that the Lyme puts us through, um, for you to be able to present yourself so well, to speak so eloquently. Um, I have to give you props for that right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, 
you know, you're so young and you speak so well, you carry yourself so well. And I know in the industry, that's something that people, I mean, even myself, I, I had amazing opportunities um, doing hair and makeup in the industry. And I blew it a few times because I, you know, there were just certain things I wasn't mature enough, or I didn't understand the professional aspect of it. And so mm. I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying about why do so many women have, you know, have Lyme. And I don't know if it's necessarily, we have, have more Lyme than men, but in terms of the Lyme bacteria being symbiotic with our system, right? Because, um, as women, things are, things are harder for us, right? <laughs> Culturally, <laughs> society wise. And, um, especially if you're talking entertainment industry, right? It's just the pressure and the stress of it all. Um, and you know, for some, I don't want to, I don't want to group everyone in there, but you know, we tend to be more emotional creatures, more empathetic and, and things like that for, like I said, for some, um, so I could totally understand, like, I've been in that same boat where the momentum is going in your career. You're super passionate. Things are happening. You have that drive. You have that. It's almost like, it's like an adrenaline you're excited, but the stress that you have, it just goes to excitement. It, it pushes you It you know, you're able to pursue those things. Um, and then that's, I think for me anyways, when I knew, okay, this isn't a mental thing. This isn't something that I'm doing. There's something physical going on that's stopping me and preventing me and sort of holding me back from being able to do the things that I used to do, whether it's a, a, a mental state, like you feel motivated and driven to do something or physically, like you said, with your chronic mm -hmm. fatigue, you're like, I can't even just run and do the normal things that I need to do. Um, so I did want to ask you, um, you do sound so independent and so strong and so boss babe, like you said, <laughs> So curious. <laughs> like in this, it sounds like you, you know, sought out the acting coach and you're really pursuing your dreams, but you simultaneously have these health issues. And I am curious um, if you could share at that time when you're going to seek out medical attention, is that just like through your insurance, you're going to your primary care doctor? Did you seek out any kind of specialist? And also, did you have anyone advocating for you at that time? Like, were your parents helping you with that? Or because you're talking about T-cell, girl, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know. <laughs> Obviously you're very, you know, um, you're very invested in your own health, even at a young age, like even before now. So is that something that your parents were helping you with? Or was it just, you, you just wanted to know that, was it your ADHD brain? <laughs> Where did I that mean, uh, yeah, it's so, it's so hard because I mean, I'm, I just want to be completely honest. I mean, with anyone listening to this, cause everyone deserves honesty when it comes to this disease. That's the only way, um, we can help one another. Yeah. I wish that that was for me. Um, I wish that I had the supportive team on my end, you know, family on board. Um, I looked like with the timing of everything that happened most recently, um, because it happened right after I came back from Puerto Rico filming the movie. And um, unfortunately, my character had a lot of crying scenes. And the body, what I learned is the body does not know the difference between real and fantasy. So I'm putting myself in the mental space of someone who is crying hysterically, traumatized, missing their dad, thinking their dad's dead. Um, every single day I'm drilling those scenes, drilling those scenes and then going to film them. So I, that's my belief for the trigger of everything on top of, I had just moved to a new place. And, um, so when I came back and you're acting even more stressed. Oh yes. I, if I had a, I could write a 10 
I guess, 10,000 page book on just all the stress that I had at that exact moment. It was the perfect storm. Really briefly, because you're discussing this, I want our audience to know just how much of a boss babe you are. And so if you could just share really briefly um, for our, our, our listeners out there, this girl is crushing it with her acting. She did an incredible movie, which I cannot wait to see, but share with us just briefly, like what, what, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So actually (laughs) I'm like, come on. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, right now, as we're, as we're recording this, you can go to theaters and see it. (laughs) It's called plain. Um, I am a supporting role. I play Gerard Butler's daughter, Daniela in the movie plane, uh, Lionsgate movie. And it is such a great movie. So fun. I don't normally like action movies, but this one had my jaw on the floor. I'm not trying to be biased here, but it is a great movie. Wonderful cast, brilliant, all talented. I mean, just such a blessing and it's just so humbling. So it's, <laughs> I can vouch for that. I am not really into the whole action stuff. And my mm-hmm. fiance kind of watch these stupid movies. And I'm like, ah, girl, I just saw the trailer and I was showing him, like, babe, we have to go to the movies. Like, <laughs> the movie, it looks so good. I'm dying. It's but really good. It is really that, good. Though, it did look very stressful. Like, it looks just intense to watch it. So I can't imagine, mm-hmm. you know, having to put yourself in that element every day and get, get your mindset into that uh, you know, action edge of your seat, thriller type of, a uh, suspense. Um, so mm. back to what you were saying though, at that time, uh, you know, were you just rolling on your own with all this stuff or did you, you know, you had a support system? What was going on? Yeah. So when I came back from filming, I actually was in my trailer on set and got the phone call that I had booked another job. Um, so I was, I mean, this was the peak in my career, in my life, very literally, I had the credits. I was booking jobs, great jobs, booked another show, would come back home, have like maybe about two weeks to prepare and then start filming another, another great cast. Um, Really just honestly, some of the best people I've ever met in my life. And during that downtime is when I began to crash and it was that same fatigue, but worse and different and more paralyzing. And I, it really did look like I was just having a mental break. You know, just, oh, here, here's the new young actress, can't handle the stress of this all. Or, um, you know, my family definitely thought, well, you can just tell us if you don't want to be an actress anymore. Or, Unfortunately, having the history of anxiety and agoraphobia and panic disorder, um, that really just put a label on me that I could not escape. Um, so, yeah, that was very tough. Um, definitely, no, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, if you Google Lyme disease and you look at the symptoms just by barely Googling it, the three things that come up are a rash, a bullseye rash, uh, joint pain and a fever. And those are the three symptoms I never had maybe on and off fever, but I'm not in any pain and I never had a rash. Um, so it wasn't really on the radar for me at that time to even think about tick-borne disease. I mean, I went through a whole (laughs) round robin of other diagnoses. Um, first of them, you know, I had, you know, had to definitely fight the psychosis, conversion disorder, um, hysteria, you know, et cetera. And not just fighting it against doctors, but fighting it against my own parents, uh, Mm -hmm. my own family. So they weren't really open to the idea or they weren't, they didn't know anything about the Lyme or, you know, nothing like that at that time. No, no, not at that time. Unfortunately, I had to, I I got sick right as I was like the first week of filming this new job. And 
Um, I mean, such a wonderful cast and crew. Uh, I had to get recast um, because of how sick I was. I, I couldn't walk. Um, and it didn't make sense to me. I tried every steroid, even something just to like, you know, cover it up to get through filming and then deal with the health stuff later. But there was no pushing through it. And anytime that I did push through it, I would be worse, which is where I ended up eventually kind of finding myself in the MECFS realm, which I, it, it's, I have a hard time of finding people with Lyme or tick-borne illness um, who also share the MECFS kind of diagnosis because it's such a spectrum, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. There are people who can't stay awake and get diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, people who just fatigue very easily or they push themselves and they're bedridden or people who push themselves and just um, can paralyze themselves. I mean, it's such a very vague description, really. Yeah, but I, what I find interesting about this is that although your symptoms weren't, you know, a hundred percent consistent with the top Lyme symptoms, fatigue is one of the top symptoms of Lyme mm -hmm. disease. Although it's a generic symptom, it's still one mm -hmm. of the top symptoms. I mean, LymeDisease.org has done a ton of research and a ton of patient surveys. And overwhelmingly, the number one symptom Lyme patients report is debilitating fatigue, where they can't get out of bed. They're always tired. And mm -hmm. that's generally an like a early warning sign of, hey, this could be Lyme disease, right? I, I am a healthy, active individual. I'm running five miles a day. I'm an active actor. And now I'm extremely fatigued. And now I'm having all these, these issues. And yet they still didn't put a connection together. And they just said, hey, it must be chronic fatigue syndrome, right? So as much as I, mm -hmm. I understand the symptoms weren't a complete, you know, one-to-one -one match, I still think there were red flags that were missed by your medical professionals. What do you think? Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, looking back at it now, it's so, it's so obvious, <laughs> but the information that I have and the knowledge I have now, I mean, um, thankfully, I mean, it took, that was September of 2021 is when I had gotten sick and started, you know, I came back to, I came up to Reno to see that same doctor in that clinic and was like, all right, give me the good stuff, doc, do what you did last time. Give me the IVs. And, you know, none of the IVs worked, nothing was working, no prednisone, hydrocortisone, no stimulant. I mean, phentermines, amphetamines, there was no supplement on planet earth that was, um, able to cover up any bit of that, uh, the fatigue or anything, unfortunately, but, but don't you um, think that's another sign? Generally people respond well with chronic fatigue. Not some people, not all people, but some people do respond well to steroids and people that are experiencing these mental health related issues that they thought you had like psychosis and anxiety and depression and conversion disorder. They respond well to these psychological drugs. Now they're treating you for these things they think you have and you're not getting better, you're getting worse, which is another sign, well, there is must be an underlying trigger or root cause to the mental health symptoms and the fatigue, right? And mm -hmm. if you're getting sicker, I think the fact that steroids are an immune suppressor, allowing the Lyme and tick-borne illnesses to even go further into your body and wreak more havoc, looking back seems so obvious probably, right? But it's just mm -hmm. so frustrating that your doctors didn't see this because they maybe could have picked it up earlier and got it before it progressed to the point, you know, where it was as bad as it was at that time, right? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that looking back? Because I think you're being a little too kind on your on your doctors here. Yeah, <laughs> I will say um, it was a little bit into, I think probably around the first week that I was there, um, the doctor I was seeing at this clinic, he said, you know, this could be Lyme. Um, it's not impossible. And 
uh, you know, it's, it's so challenging because the Lyme test that he did was, um, lab corp, you know, just a standard Lyme test. And of course it came back negative, but he did say, you know, it could still be positive. This is a very faulty test, but when he's saying these things, um, but he also is trying to be open-minded, like, you know, knowing my history about anxiety, you know, we have to rule out conversion disorder. We have to rule out all these things. Okay. I don't know what it is. And my mom's sitting there in the room and she's kind of hearing, well, the doctor's not certain with what's going on. And, you know, jumping through these hoops on how to even test for Lyme disease or tick-borne illness. And so she's just not convinced at all that there's anything wrong with me. And that was the hard part because I, it, it was in the back of my head. Okay. I'm negative. Um, but I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research. Okay. Like, what does he mean that you can still be positive? And I started looking into the specialty labs and, um, uh, eventually, I mean, it took weeks upon weeks upon weeks of me begging and building up a case for me to even get tested through hygienics, um, for Lyme disease, which that January I came back, uh, positive for Lyme indeterminate for tick-borne relapsing fever and, uh, positive for Bartonella. Um, even then like taking that positive test around two doctors, oh, well, this is a fake lab. Oh, well, this is just exposure. Oh, maybe you have been exposed to it in life or, but yeah, it was mostly fake lab, fake lab. These aren't real, (laughs) these aren't real test results. Before we talk about hygienics, you don't have Lyme. So, but then why even do the hygienics test if they're not going to believe the at results? At that point, I, I, yeah. But before we get there, I, I want to ask you a question because I do want to talk about hygienics with, with Danny and you and, and about that whole thing. And even though it's a really good test, a lot of people don't recognize it because it's not CDC certified, it's not covered by insurance, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. you know, my brother and I have this debate all the time. And I have it with, frankly, a lot of people, friends, you know, that are in the Lyme community and also people in the Lyme community. If somebody's suffering regardless of whether it's a physical suffering or an emotional mental suffering, you're still suffering and you still Mm -hmm. need adequate care from medical professionals. So you're not suffering, very simply put, right? And many, many medical professionals are now believing that mental health related conditions have an underlying physiological or physical root cause. And in fact, we've interviewed one of the leading tick-borne illness psychotherapists out of New York City, And he believes that every single psychological condition out there has an underlying pathogenic cause, whether it's a virus, bacteria, parasite, et cetera. You know, do you think that that's related? Do you think that, you know, that's something that your doctor should have picked up? Or do you think that I'm I'm commingling things that should remain separate, that mental health issues aren't always necessarily connected to a pathogen in the body? I I do believe that pathogens... um can cause inflammation in in the brain. I mean, Lyme Borrelia lives in the brain and I see people all the time go to Mexico and Germany and they do treatments like the the hyperthermia where they heat themselves up, but the part that's not getting heated up is their head. You can't put your head, you know, you can't heat up your head, your brain to 107 degrees. So you're not actually killing all the bacteria. Um, It will probably help temporarily, um, you know, for a few weeks, but I mean, (laughs) <laughs> my my doctor, like, as I was asking my doctor, oh, should I go do this? He like started laughing a little bit about it. And it was, it was like weird and shocking to hear it, but so like, oh, that's, that kind of makes sense. Like, you know, doing all these crazy treatments and still thinking, well, why am I not getting better in SOT therapy? I was very frustrated early on because I was seeing people, um, healing from 
tick-borne illness with very holistic approaches. They got into tapping. They got into the lightning process. They got into brain rewiring. They got into yoga. They got into exposing the sun to the darkest areas of their body. And I mean, I, (laughs) when I say I tried everything, I mean, I even had an exorcism. I did like a medical medium. I did sound therapy. I mean, I did, I really did it all and everything with my whole heart. But I asked my doctor and this might sound so aggressive and it was like aggressive for me to hear, but I said, and I was speaking out of frustration. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Like there's so many people that are saying that they're getting better. Like they, they access their deep childhood traumas and boom, they're recovered. Or like they, they did the um, Ayurvedic medicine or whatever it is like, and I just, the lightning process. And I really am trying and putting my whole heart into that and trying to, you know, calm the autonomic nervous system and let my body get into a state of healing where it can heal itself and my immune system could kick in. And he just looked at me and he was like kind of confused. And he said, the people who got completely better just by doing that weren't sick. And that was just like, I was like half offended hearing that. So I was like, how could you say that? Of course, like people, like, of course, like it's a spectrum of illness. You know, there are people who have tick-borne disease and, and, you know, can function and go to work. They just have, you know, joint pain or brain fog or ME-CFS. I mean, it's, but then I was like, okay, that also unfortunately made me feel a little bit better because that means that I'm not doing something wrong here, (laughs) that I'm not going to just feel defeated by not getting better from the herbs and the tinctures and the, and the meditation and the, the exorcisms. And Kelly, there's so many, there's so many parts to that though, right? Because we're all different people, right? We're different genetically. We're different with our immune systems. We're different with our blood types. And all of these things have an impact on how our body responds to pathogens. And beyond that, we're all different with our, our pathogenic load. If you were bit by a tick, what strain of Borrelia or Lyme disease were you infected with? One or many? What co-infections do you have? What other things do you have that coexist with that, like Epstein-Barr virus? Are you predisposed to autoimmunity? You know, all these factors contribute to what's going on in your body and what will or will not help you, which is why I think the more data we can have on our, on our individual bodies, the better we can make informed decisions to treat our bodies, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about like hyperthermia, for example. We've had people come on and say, I did hyperthermia and it helped me so much and it was a game changer. Mm-hmm. But we know that hyperthermia can kill Lyme bacteria and studies mm-hmm. have proven this, but to your point, it may not penetrate deep enough and it may not you know, fully eradicate the bacteria, but it may kill just enough to give the immune system a chance to have a fighting chance to now keep it at bay and manage it, right? And finally mm-hmm, do its job because now it's, it's, it's able to manage the load of bacteria in the body but it doesn't affect a lot of the co-infections because the co-infections don't get killed off at the same temperature as Lyme disease. So if you don't know what's going on in your body, you're really, you know, rolling the dice to say, well, is hypothermia going to help me or not? Right. Because we don't have all the data to make an informed decision there. And the same thing with, with a lot of these more natural, we'll call woo woo approaches. Right. And a lot of people have, have had success with them, but from our experience, these things are generally more effective at the end of a healing journey when you've gone through all the treatments and your brain is stuck in a certain pattern. When you do these more alternative things like brain rewiring and things like that, that you described, they have a better result because a lot of the bacteria and pathogens have been, have been, you know, removed or at least reduced. And now we have to work on calming down the nervous system to reset itself to its pre-illness state. So I think there's a sequencing and a timing component to this, 
And I think there's the bio-individual component, which a lot of us sometimes don't realize because we just look at it. Well, Danny got better from hyperthermia. Why can't I? What's wrong with me, right? Well, we're mm-hmm. different, you know? And I think that that's, that's the, the unfortunate part of this illness. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic cure. And it's sometimes hard to really face that reality. But knowing that there is a way to get better, and if we keep trying, we can get better, is really the hopeful piece of, I think, this experience that we just have to keep trying and we will mm-hmm. finally find a way to our own bio-individual health, right? I mean, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Do you think, I don't think it's always so cut and dry to say, you know, uh, maybe they weren't sick altogether and maybe they were sick, right? I mean, you, you know, debate me on that topic if, if you don't agree. Yeah, I mean, that's why it, get, it was such a shock even hearing it. And I was like, okay, well, it definitely is a spectrum. And the the um, the doctor that I'm seeing, I mean, he actually comes from the MECFS realm. I mean, he's been in that world for 30 plus years. And he, you know, if, if you go into like the MECFS specialist, they still believe that that's caused by a virus. Um, Epstein-Barr is like, if you look it up on the internet, oh, Epstein-Barr virus is the cause of MECFS. Um, and he's 100% against that. He said, well, you know, there's, some people can have those symptoms. I mean, mono overlaps, but he found Borrelia um, in his MECFS patients, not just Borrelia uh, burgdorferi, but Borrelia miyamotai specifically, um, which is my diagnosis, which actually my Borrelia miyamotai was mimicking Lyme disease. So it's a it's definitely a, a turn of events um, in my case, but you know, looking at the whole spectrum thing, I mean, he really believes that how sick people get is just a genetic factor. Um, and then also the TH1, TH2 immune system on top of it. Um, and also, I mean, he sees a lot of uh, SIBO, IBD, irritable bowel disease with it as well. I mean, it's just such a colossal thing that didn't happen overnight. But yeah, I, I definitely 100% agree. It's a spectrum. I mean, there are people who can still work. There are people who are completely disabled. Um and fatigue, I mean, in itself, there are people who have um, tick-borne illness and just are exhausted all day, but like mentally exhausted versus people who have like the muscular exhaustion. Um, so, I mean, I, I do believe that people who can calm their autonomic nervous system and get out of a state of chronic stress and allow their body to heal, you know, I think that if their immune system is strong enough and it can kind of kick tick-borne diseases, but I mean, that's always a possibility. Not for, unfortunately, I, I was just more frustrated because it wasn't working for me. So I was like, right. okay, what the heck here? <laughs> but I, but Haley, I think these broad generalizations, right? That mm-hmm. for example, EBV, Epstein-Barr virus is the virus that results in MECFS, which is basically chronic fatigue syndrome, right? I think mm-hmm. those are dangerous broad generalizations that we're finding are not really accurate. And mm-hmm. when you try to treat EBV, which is a virus, to help people with MECFS or chronic fatigue, some of them aren't going to get better because it may 100%. not be, it could be Borrelia. Yeah. And again, not Borrelia burgdorferi, traditional Lyme disease. It could be Borrelia miyamotai, which is extremely common today. And mm-hmm. many people don't even know what it is could be contributing to your chronic fatigue and you get labels MECFS, chronic fatigue. Oh, you're not getting better. You're one of those anomalies who just is going to have to live with the rest of their lives. But yet there is something that can help these people. So that's why I think it's so dangerous to say you're in this bucket and if you're not getting better, sorry, you got to live with it. We need to sometimes think outside the box, right? And I think that's what you're saying here. That's the message I'm taking away is we have to be creative. And if something isn't helping, we need to pivot and look at different angles to our health and try other things 
you know, maybe an antiviral versus an antibacterial, whether it's herbal, whether it's antibiotic, whether it's something holistic, like more natural, like SOT, right? I mean, that's, that's what I'm hearing from you in your journey is that you had to kind of deviate from the norm to get results in your own health. Oh yeah, of course. And I would say the worst part of it is when you like, let's say you meet with a doctor and your, your main complaint is your fatigue and it's disabling. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see that it takes long before they bring up chronic fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome. And then of course, everyone, everyone's going to go on the internet and want to look that up. And the information out on the internet uh, is all about Epstein-Barr virus being associated with chronic fatigue syndrome. So I had to learn for myself, you know, I, I had no one to talk to. I had no family to really kind of bounce this off, uh, bounce this, this off of. Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't really like going on the internet and typing out, okay, well, what is this? I liked, you know, okay, well, what's the mechanism of chronic fatigue syndrome? Okay. Is it mitochondria? Okay. What is the function of the mitochondria and kind of just going and learning the definitions of how each cell in the body works and, um, you know, kind of just going in deep and then taking a backwards approach for myself. So I don't find any bias sources or people trying to push an, push an agenda of, oh, well, no, it can't possibly be chronic Lyme chronic Lyme isn't real. It's Epstein-Barr virus, uh, chronic Epstein-Barr virus, even though we don't technically have the testing yet to be able to test for it. But trust me, it is that like, it's, it's just such a, it's so hard to go on the internet and find answers. And I did my fair share of it for the first 14 months. I mean, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto thyroiditis. I was, um, diagnosed with, uh, I was put on Forteo for hypoparathyroidism with IGF-1 resistance, um, adrenal fatigue. I mean, every diagnosis you could possibly think of. I even thought I had cranial cervical instability, had to rule that out. I mean, <laughs> it was such a rabbit hole. And um, Haley, yeah. you think the, I'm just curious. So, you know, you reminded me a lot of Allie Hilfiger. When we interviewed Allie Hilfiger, she told us that all of these diagnoses she received were waste basket diagnoses, meaning mm -hmm. they were diagnoses that didn't help her simply, right? They were diagnoses that they tried to treat. They didn't really have a clear understanding as what was causing it, but it was just a label and it delayed her ultimate return to health. And I think like things like psychosis, your chronic post-treatment stress disorder, your anxiety, your MECFS, your conversion disorder, even a lot of your autoimmune diseases were probably waste, bas waste basket diagnoses like Ali Hilfiger described because they weren't giving you a vehicle to treat your body and recover. They were just labels that weren't getting you any better. And when you started to do your own research, you realized, well, if I take a broader approach and just put those labels out of my mind and I don't identify with any of them, but just focused on literally cellular health, right? Mitochondria, how do I get my energy back? And you start to take that approach at a base level, you then find things that, that can help you in that regard. I mean, do you think that's a problem that you were going through and many of us in the Lyme community face. I, I just think we see it way too much where people get these labels, whether it's Lyme or CFS or chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. And now we think, well, it is what it is. And they don't want to look elsewhere to find a deeper root cause. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I mean, my doctor even said, um, you can take this sheet of paper and it was my blood test with my rheumatoid factor. And he said, just take this one sheet and hand it to a rheumatologist, any Western medicine rheumatologist, don't tell anything about um, your history. They will diagnose you on the spot with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so I have all the positive tests for it. I have no joint pain. I have no symptoms really. I mean, besides the fatigue of rheumatoid arthritis, uh, same thing with lupus. I had some markers that could indicate, oh, well, maybe this could be lupus, maybe not. Um, I mean, even the Hashimoto's was just like kind of like a false... I mean, I had the TPO antibodies going up, but no other marker 
with it. I mean, it's just such a, all these diagnoses. I mean, my IGF one was elevated and, you know, <laughs> endocrinologists, they didn't really know what to do with me. They, they, it was just so like, they couldn't understand my charts. Um, so it was just like, oh, well, you know, it's nothing, but then, you know, I have solid numbers, like all my cytokines were elevated, my mRNA cytokines, every single one. And, uh, one doctor that I was seeing at the clinic, who's also an oncologist looked at this, looked at all my elevated cytokines, I mean, through the roof and said, oh, well, you know, cytokines could be raised for stress. So, you know, still had to rule out the chronic stress and, oh, well, stress could be the reason for your cytokines versus, you know, the doctor that I'm seeing now looks at my mRNA cytokines and all of that. And he's like, yeah, this is not good at all. <laughs> you are fighting something off like your CD14, um, LPS. I mean, just a lot of toxicity in my blood, ammonia. Like he's just like, okay, no, you're very, you're very sick. This isn't caused from stress. You are from what I've seen in the markers that he was putting together. Um, it is very Borrelia specific and not just like, that was the biggest part for me is, is this viral or is this bacterial? And he was definitely smart enough to look at all of my numbers and look at the specific markers, the specific cytokines and say, okay, this is Borrelia specific. But or both, right? Because I mean, we've heard in this podcast, we've heard from a lot of doctors that say, when you suffer from chronic Lyme disease and you have the perfect storm that you described and your, your immune system becomes compromised because of Borrelia miyamoto in your case, and maybe some other tick-borne pathogens, it allows these opportunistic viruses to wreak havoc as well. So I think many mm -hmm. times we focus on just a bacteria or just a virus when in reality, when you become chronic and your body crashes due to the perfect storm, you have to address the whole body, right? And I think sometimes like even myself, I get too focused on it's just bacteria or just viral. I mean, what do you think about that? Because you just said it was bacterial for you and not viral. Do you think it could have been both in your case? So this is actually going to be very interesting. And the most progress I've made so far has been with Dr. Kenny. I mean, it, he's so cool, calm and collected. I mean, he knew what this was like, you know, 10 minutes into me being in the room and describing everything. And out of the 45 patients that he's treated just in the area, cause he's from Brussels and then, you know, we'll come to um, the university of Nevada, Reno once a month and see patients nearby out of the 45 that he treated 44 of them completely recovered. And the one person that didn't recover, you know, he called and was like, Hey, like, um, and the wife picked up and he's like, Hey, like, I just want to check in. Like, uh, how's his treatment going? And she was like, what treatment? So he wasn't <laughs> actually on the protocol. The one person who didn't get better. Um, but when I asked him, I said, okay, I like cracked my knuckles. I'm like, let's go down the list of every single antibody that I have, because I still have the, uh, the, uh, um, mycoplasma pneumonia. I have the Epstein bar. Um, I have, oh gosh, what was it? It was hepatitis, but it was probably an antibody from the vaccines that I had is what we, what we came to the huts that scared me, but it was, um, from the vaccine and I'm just going down the list of everything. And he's like, we don't have to treat those. You don't, you, those aren't things that you have to be worried about. You don't have mycoplasma pneumonia. It's showing me that you are exposed to it, but when your body is really sick, fighting off the Borrelia, your immune system is going to create all those antibodies trying to fight it off. Like it's just trying to throw everything it can at it and recreate antibodies that your body's already been exposed to in the past. Um, but he doesn't believe that it means that I'm currently actively fighting it. Um, whether that's true or not, I have no idea, but it's just uh, a different perspective from what I've heard so that's far. A, that's a really cool 
viewpoint, right? And again, I think there's mm-hmm. this is this is just some so so many ways to think about it and approach it. And who knows, right? Who knows what what the reality is? Regardless, you know, you're giving us really cool ideas and tips and tricks to address our own personal healing journeys, which is the most important part of this podcast. But I do want to zoom out because I have been ADDing out with you all over the place. And I'm sorry, Danny. Danny, <laughs> Danny knows me by now. This is her like fifth or sixth podcast. Though, so she knows. But, you know, backing up, you got the indeterminate Western blot through LabCorp. You did the hygienics. And then your family still didn't believe you, which is crazy. Why do you, you know, like, what do we even do it for if you're not going to believe a positive hygienics test? But eventually your doctor convinces you and your family that you have Lyme and you start treating. And you mentioned that you did things like SOT. So can you just walk us, Danny and I, through, Haley, what treatment you did? Um, some of the, the more noteworthy ones like SOT, Doxy, maybe some herbal protocols like the Rolls Restore Kit you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, injections, IV bags, right? You know, the the maybe more ozone, just kind of highlight some of the treatments you did once you realized I have Lyme, I have Borrelia miyamotii, you know, what you've done, I think it's just over the last year, right? It's only been about a year you've been diagnosed now? Yeah, a year I've been diagnosed. Um, I never did SOT. I really wanted to, but um, the doctor that I was seeing, he he showed me um, some things of people who reacted really badly to SOT therapy. Um, and like, you know, was kind of giving me like a viewpoint from his perspective and other doctors that he knew in the San Francisco area specifically who were using SOT therapy and like some more, you know, they, they just ended up a little bit worse. Um, so we kind of decided that it just wasn't a route for me, but when I got the, uh, um, the Lyme diagnosis in January of 2022, um, I had switched doctors within that clinic and the doctor I was seeing was, uh, working at the clinic, but he also was an oncologist. Um, and he put me on doxycycline, uh, hundred milligrams, 50. And then I had to taper up to hundred and I felt like I was dying. <laughs> that was awful. I worst herks of my life, fevers, malaise. I would wake my mom up at four thirty-five in the morning crawl into bed with her and be like, I'm going to just die in your arms. I'm not going to die alone in my bed. I'm just going to be here with you. (laughs) You can just deal with my body. So sorry, but that's how it's going to go. Um, and then a few weeks into it, it was just six weeks of doxy. I was on doxy famvir, um, for antiviral Valtrex. And I was taking on top of that also the uh, herbal protocol, Dr. Rawls's herbs, and I was following a Gundry, Dr. Gundry uh, diet. So no lectins, um, uh, keeping it low on the animal protein. I mean, to a T, just doing the absolute perfect thing I possibly could, taking the right prebiotics, probiotics, um, getting sunlight at the right time, um, fixing my sleep cycle. Um, and the herxing went away after maybe about three weeks. And all my symptoms were the exact same besides the herxing being gone. Nothing really kind of did anything for me. And I told myself, I was like, okay, the other half is me. I just got to, you know, I just got to push it and really just, you know, mildly get into exercise and maybe that's what it is. And I did that. And I went outside and I walked around our barn like a few times. And the next day I was bedridden and basically near paralyzed to my bed for the next four months. So in a dark room in <laughs> like worst rock bottom. Well, I do want to say kudos and you are one strong individual because if you were doing prescription antibiotics, prescription antivirals and the restore kit, which is, you know, a combination of herbal and natural antibiotics, antivirals, anti-parasites, et cetera, 
and all that other stuff. I mean, that's really aggressive. When I did doxycycline and the herbal restore kit, you know, which is again, they complement each other, but it's a very powerful combination. My body responded mm-hmm. so aggressively. I had these rashes all over my body from detox. I mean, it was, it was, it was a rough period. So you went even harder. So first of all, congratulations on being so strong. <laughs> I don't know how you did. Thank I could you. never Thank have you. done that. And I'm just so sorry that it didn't help. And, and that, you know, in the end, the herxing subsided, but you still didn't have any symptom relief. That's just, that's awful. And I, and I'm sorry for that, but what did you do next? Right. I mean, that's, that, that's gotta be like, that's gotta be, you must've been crushed, you know, and, and hopefully your doctors worked with you and gave you some other thing. I mean, obviously we know here you are today, extremely smart, extremely well presented. So we know there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel and you've made some progress, but walk us through the next steps after that. Um. So after that, I was really just trying to stay alive at that point. I was so severe. I mean, just like a textbook severe case of ME-CFS, move too much. I, I just don't recover. So I was in our movie theater room, which had no windows in it. It was pitch black. I had a, just like a mattress foam topper on the floor and some blankets and some pillows. And that's where I slept for months. And I, if I had to go to the bathroom or shower, I would get on my hands and feet and I would crawl to and from it. And at this point, I mean, my mom, I mean, well, the doctor, these things didn't work. Like, obviously you don't have, you know, Lyme disease. This isn't what you have. So we had to kind of go back to square one, but square one still included the psychosis, you know, thinking, okay, well, this is just a mental thing. Um, saw a neurologist, um, actually found some white matter in my brain compared to a scan I had a few years prior, which had none. Um, so, you know, even the doctors at the functional medicine clinic that I was going to, they were like, I don't know. Like <laughs> They were kind of shrugging their shoulders. Well, we just treated you for Lyme. Like you got the doxycycline, like we can try to give you supportive therapy. Um, and this is, this might be just my own issue with, uh, with some of the IVs, but in the middle, um, like early on when I was getting some of the IVs done, I was getting 65 grams of vitamin C every day, which is, you know, if you read about it, vitamin C is like the super potent, like antioxidant, anti-inflammatory microbe killer. And, um, I got strep throat while I was on these IVs and I went on an antibiotic and then I didn't respond to the antibiotic and I was still getting these IVs and had to go on a second antibiotic. So (laughs) vitamin C didn't really seem to protect me or help me too much. Um, so I kind of lost faith in like supplemental therapy. Um, but do you think you were so immune compromised because you were on vitamin C, but you mentioned you had all these autoimmune markers. You mentioned that you had all these rheumatological markers. And if your immune system was just defeated from the bombardment of pathogens and this perfect storm you had, it makes mm-hmm. sense that the, you'd keep getting, you know, strep throat. I mean, when I was at my worst, I had sinus infections. I mean, oh my goodness. I, I, I had mm-hmm. many, many sinus infections every year. I was on antibiotics all the time. And looking mm-hmm. back, it was just an indication that my immune system was crap, right? And I haven't had, I haven't had one, thank God, in, in many years, but my, my, my t- entire body just essentially shut down. So I was getting sick all the time. I was on all kinds of stuff, but I just wasn't getting better. And it was a very similar situation. I think the underlying root to that is your immune system, right? I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Haley, that the vitamin C couldn't do its job, the antibiotics weren't doing their job, because in the end, the antibiotics don't 
solve the problem. The vitamin C won't solve the problem. It's your own immune system. It's your own body mm -hmm. that will balance things out on a day-to-day -day basis. And if that's not in a good place, you're never going to be able to maintain health. I mean, that's kind of my counter to what you just said. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't even getting those markers drawn from these doctors. They, you know, they were just kind of referring me to other specialists um, on top of me, you know, kind of doing my own research and then finding a new doctor. And then, you know, some of them just were trying to like, oh, well, let me give you this supplement more. So just, you know, I, I, man, the amount of money I spent on supplements and, and a doctor thinking, oh, well, you just have to try this supplement and this and this and this. And, um, it really wasn't until, you know, Dr. Kenny and he drew those markers, you know, the CD14, all of my inflammatory cytokines, um, and their MRNA counterpart and, um, my zonulin, uh, a lot of stomach markers. He really was focused on the stomach, my uh, SIGA, which I think are immunoglobulins. And just based off of my zonulin and my immunoglobulins, he put me in the top 10 percentile of patients he's seen in severity. I mean, he was like, I mean, just, he immediately put me on, on, on some things. And I asked him, I was like, okay, if my stomach is this severe, like, and I, I really am baffled. I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to corner him and be like, haha, gotcha. But I was like, I did the perfect diet, like the perfect whole food, lectin free, um, you know, low animal protein, but, you know, still had it diet and to a T with the best prebiotics, the best probiotics, the best herbs. And I didn't feel better one bit. Like why, if this is also related to my stomach, how come I did not find any relief? And he said, you're too far gone. You, you focus on that stuff after we start treating you and get and getting you better. Cause I was still so focused on, okay, well too many antibiotics. I'm just going to make my stomach worse. I'm just going to get candida and all these awful things. And I was just so traumatized from, you know, Western medicine. Um, but you know, after he put me on, uh, it was a Zafaxin for my stomach with, um, mesalamine, I think is how you say it. Um, you know, just those two things alone for my stomach already made me so much more, it took me from bed bound to can actually move around and, you know, go to restaurants and things like that. So that, that gives me a little bit of insight on, okay, well, maybe he does know what he's talking about. Haley, what were your <laughs> symptoms though, right? So you mentioned your, your stomach symptoms. So at this point you're, you're in a really bad place. What are your symptoms? You know, stomach, neurological, just pain, mm -hmm. you know, give us an idea as to your quality of life and your symptoms that were making your life essentially, you know, very difficult to manage at that time. Yeah. So, well, to start with the stomach, I haven't really noticed any stomach issues at all. Um, everything functions normal. I've felt no pain. I've had no, you know, uh, abnormal like bathroom routines. So that's where I, I just didn't really think that I had a big problem with that. So to hear that I'm in the top 10 percentile, um, and he even said, oh, Zonulin, like this number isn't just like, you know, oh, like the, this voodoo number that came from this voodoo lab, like this number is accepted across the board from all doctors. Um, so to hear this all, I, I'm just like, my jaw's on the floor. I'm in shock, I'm just in shock. So I got SIBO and IBD diagnosis just instantly. My brother's the one who has a lot of, I mean, IBD symptoms. So I'm, I'm just like me, like, <laughs> are we sure about that? Um, my main symptoms would be the chronic fatigue. Um, if I push it, I crash and I don't recover. It's not really a malaise. It's just like a, like a burning in the arms, like can't move muscles. I, I wish I could explain it, but it, it's what I'd assume cellular death feels like. 
Um, there is no pushing through it. There's no, Oh, well just, you know, just go do it. My mom really likes to try to be like, Oh, well just, just try, like, go do it. <laughs> like, I just, promise just you, smile and think positive just, and relax. And yeah, move on just do it. No, that's um, not how it works. Yeah. I had a very irregular menstrual cycle. Um, I, can I, extreme... can I pause there? Because while we have Danny on, obviously Rich and I can't relate to that or speak to that. And that's mm-hmm. a really common symptom, right? The, the, the female reproductive system is, is a system that's impacted very heavily by Lyme disease. And I think because of inflammation, especially when it comes to menstrual cycles being heavier or erratic or all kinds of issues that pertain to that. Can you just get, can you just go a little bit deeper with Danny on that topic? Because, you know, we want, we want people to know that are listening, that they're not alone when it comes to these female related symptoms that are triggered by inflammation mm-hmm. and Lyme disease and tick-borne illnesses that look, we found, not we, you know, researchers have found Lyme bacteria in the female reproductive system. So we know it does get in there and cause problems. So can you mm-hmm. discuss that quickly, that one particular topic? Yeah, yeah, of course. Let's talk periods. <laughs> There's no such thing as too much information. Yeah. And no, I, 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 want, I enjoy learning. So please, if you're comfortable, Haley and Danny, if you can just discuss this a little bit more in detail. Ooh, who's first? <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I can definitely speak to the fact that, uh, you know, I, I find it very interesting because although we share, you know, we have so many things in common when it comes to our Lyme journey, um, for me in particular, me and you guys, it's very, very different because I have not treated anything with antibiotics. Um, I, because my stomach is a wreck (laughs) and I do have Mm -hmm. such horrible stomach issues. And from day one, the doctor that diagnosed me with Lyme and the, the person that even, you know, considered even taking a look at considering a Lyme diagnosis, um, way before that, when I was diagnosed, he diagnosed me with hypothyroid and all of that. Um, that was the first thing, as soon as he met me, he's just like, wow, your gut's a wreck. And so we're, we're never going to touch antibiotics. And so for my Lyme journey cr- with chronic Lyme, it's been very, very different because I've never treated with antibiotics. So I like the fact that that's been part of my journey. And then with you, you know, doing with the doxy and all of the other things, our treatment regimens have been in some ways similar, but in some ways very, very different. And you're saying that you had these like heavy periods. I know for myself, my periods now are like one, maybe two days. They're extremely brief. However, I have horrible other symptoms, you know, PMS, um, you know, breast pain and all these crazy things that I never, ever, ever experienced before. Um, so yeah, it obviously is wreaking havoc. So tell us about what's going on with you, with you. Oh man. I mean, I, this is probably the first time within this last year that I went on the internet and Googled how much is the average, like how much blood is supposed to be average on a woman's period. And I couldn't find anything because we don't talk about it. I like, I didn't get that birds and bees talk in school or from my mom. Um, and I found out, I mean, through scrolling and really scrolling, really, really (laughs) obscure scrolling, um, that I have, I have a heavier flow and my period, like when I first got sick, the first month was completely gone. Mm -hmm. And then it started coming two times a month. And it was, I mean, I had never really had these issues before ever. It was always very regular. Um, and of course, you know, I bring these symptoms. Oh, well, you're probably just stressed or yeah, well, female hormones tend to, and I just kind of tuned out in my ear. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it, it was just awful. I mean, especially during the time when I was just bedridden and like, you don't want to have to keep getting up to, uh, you know, deal with a period two times a month. 
for five days each time. I mean, it, it was just exhausting, awful, confusing. Um, but I also, in a weird way, was happy because it was a symptom that I couldn't make up. Right. Yes. <laughs> it was there and it was a thing. And I mean, even, you know, I had, I have tachycardia, but like when I had POTS where it was just more, instead of it being random, but like on standing up, when I tell my mom, my heart rate's really fast. It wasn't until I got a pulse oximeter to prove to her, it wasn't a panic attack. It's when I stand up because I'd lay down it instantly, instantly would go down, stand up and my heart rate went up and, and she like, you know, it's, it's finding those things that are just irrefutable because yeah. you take that to the doctor. They can't really just, Oh, well, this is made up in your mind. Like they can't, they can't really yeah. dance around that as much anymore. That was a huge indicator for me. Um, you know, with it's well known on this podcast that I go to the a Holtorf Medical Center here in LA and um Dr. Kent Holtorf, that's one of the things that he asked right away is like, how's your periods? Like, what's going on with your periods? And mm-hmm. even currently now, because for me, with my Babesia infections and a lot of other things that I have going on, um everything I've been battling the past three years, my blood has quality of it has gotten so, so, so bad. It is so dirty at this point. So full of fibrin that when I do have my periods, it's, it's not even like a normal flowing period. It's like blood clots at this point, Mm -hmm. a huge indicator of what's going on inside. Like you said, it's an actual like visual symptom because Mm -hmm. we know chronic Lyme and it's an invisible illness. And it's so, so horrible. Like you were saying, your doctor's like, you're very, very, very sick. And Matt started this podcast saying how well you look. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You know, like we look look beautiful. We look great. We're young women, you know? Um, and yet internally all these things are going on and it's like, finally you get one thread of something that's like, look at, this is a visual thing that you can actually see and, and almost like quantify in a sense. So that's, I think when you're seeking out help medically, especially from a a male doctor who like Matt, he's like, I can't speak to that. I don't know anything about it. You can, you know, look at those symptoms and what's going on previously, what's happening now, or like that, even for me, things are getting worse. Now my blood's getting worse. There's a symptom there. Mm -hmm. So it's super important. We we take note of that thing and not be afraid to talk about it. Like you said, (laughs) yeah, yeah. healthy anymore. We don't even know. Yeah. 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 That was, that was definitely the most shocking thing was like trying to Google how much blood are you supposed to bleed during your period? And I couldn't find, I couldn't find anything. It was really hard to find something, but you know, once I did, I was like, okay, yeah, then this, this is a great indicator for, I am not having a normal cycle being like yeah. so dizzy and wanting to like, just pass out and going a little pale. This is not normal. <laughs> I have to go too, not to make Matt too uncomfortable or any other male listeners. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I grew up with a sister. You're not going to make yeah, me uncomfortable. Have- Trust me, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> That's been a big thing too, trying to find help in the community. Um, like here we go, TMI, but like, you know, uh, having to switch to a cleaner lifestyle, because I know for me, it's transitioned into, you know, the mast cell activation syndrome. And I'm just so sensitive to everything at this point. Um, but I mean, I used to be able to use tampons and even organic cotton, all these things. I think because of the inflammation, it is so painful for me. I mean, I can't even attempt to use one now. And so Mm. trying to find alternative clean ways of, of dealing with that and and handling that. I know this is a personal question, but have you changed any of that? Like you said, you weren't even able to get out of bed at that point. Now they have like period underwear. It's like they have everything. So anything that's helped you and, and how is that for you now? Like, like within your journey right now, of you getting any better, has that improved for you? 
And I know that the fact that we can't exercise doesn't help that either. So that are you able to kind of get some movement in and has that, has that gotten better for you? I've, I mean, I've been moving around more recently, but I mean, to go to, to follow up with what you said personally, I'm, I mean, this is just my own thought process. This has not been thumbs up by a doctor, nor do I think it would be, but I just tell myself, you know, I'm just going to stick to pads and not tampons because knowing my luck and my immune system, I'd get the toxic shock syndrome. I'd make things worse, not worth the risk. If the risk goes down drastically, if I don't use a tampon, I'm just going to go with that. (laughs) I'm just going to go with that method for the time being. Um, So that's, I mean, the main thing that's, that's changed for me. Um, But yeah, I mean. Amen. It's, it's yeah, it's I'm regular like, now. Thankfully, cool. Bring them back. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't care. No, Diaper, but I don't care. No, no more. I don't know. It's like yeah, uh, but I actually really appreciate you talking about this stuff because. Yeah, we don't usually have these conversations, right, Matt? <laughs> Never. Honestly, a lot of this is the first time I've ever even heard about a lot of these things. And I think it's so important to be so open and honest, especially with our medical team, because all these things together collectively are clues to a bigger picture. And if we're not comfortable sharing things like this, then we're not going to give our doctors all the tips they need to help us come to the conclusion. And Lyme is hard enough and tick-borne illnesses are hard enough. And if we don't, if we're not comfortable being open and honest, then people aren't going to be able to help us the, to the best of their ability. So. I just do want to say, Haley, I mean, thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable. I mean, we know Danny, Danny's been on here and shared her story a lot, but even Danny's opened up more than she ever has just now in this podcast. So it's really important we share these really personal things to help others listening. And I think that was a really powerful segment. So thank you for that. But let's let's now, you know, go back to where we were in our journey where you went through all this, you went through hell you're in the same exact position. And this is, again, within the last year, walk us through, Haley, what happened from you rebounding from all the antibiotics, all the herbs, everything under the sun, getting through the Herx. And, you know, what now from that point through the present date, you know, within the last six to eight months of that, that journey? Yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I, I did all the right things, was on all the right things. I felt like, okay, well, my body is protected. My body's getting the nutrients. I'm getting the ATP. I'm getting everything you could possibly think of. I'm on the antibiotics. I'm on the antivirals. If there's anything in my body, it's dead and recovering at some level. I mean, at least please. So that's where I decided, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, walk around the barn. I'm going to really, you know, just push myself. And, um, I mean, prior to that, I had done the, uh, uh, the blood ozone therapies. Those were the things that helped the most. Um, but they didn't last. Um, I mean, and I, I never was thumbs up to, uh, to do them again. Um, mostly because I also don't have any more veins. I mean, it takes, uh, it takes like about 12 pokes in about two hours to get any blood from me. Um, also with this disease, uh, we know that there's like low blood volume associated with it. Um, so, and also just having the chronic cold hands and feet doesn't, <laughs> doesn't help for blood draws. Um, so I, yeah, following that, I was in a, yeah, in a dark movie theater room, sleeping on the floor for a few months. Um, really just, I mean, I'm just going to try to make this as, as, you know, gentle as I can, but really just trying to survive and just survive myself because I, 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 if that was what life was going to be like for me, I didn't want it. I wasn't going to do it. There was, there was just no way that I was. Did and, you give up? So were you essentially just in, in those few months, just given up and just kind of 
Yeah. Yeah. Say, I hey, was like, I, I'm just going to sit here and rot. And then, and I then need to sit here and rot. I, or I'm just going to, I'm just going to take myself off the map because this is so sufferable. The symptoms like feeling every cell. I, I, I wish I knew what it, how to describe what it felt like, but the extreme muscle fatigue and weakness, I mean, just absolutely paralyzing. Um, and I just kind of remembered, and I had all these supplements. I mean, the wall was lined with probably about 55 supplements that I was just rotating and trying and experimenting with just for any bit of symptom relief. And, um, the only thing that kind of helped me a little bit, or at least maybe mentally was when I would sit in front of my heater and it wasn't until I just, my, my body wanted to be in front of heat and I would like nearly burn my legs from sitting in front of the heater. I don't know if it would just take away and added like, you know, a new feeling. So where my, I would be distracted from like that weird, awful muscle fatigue that I was feeling. Um, I later learned that mitochondria hate heat. So to make more of them, you stay in heat. <laughs> and that's why the hot, cold, um, showers work really well. But it wasn't until I remembered that my doctor, um, my chronic fatigue specialist that I saw in New York, she was like, Oh, well, here's a list of things you can try like metformula. And for my, um, I had a, uh, what was it like a collagen type two antibody that came back positive. And she's like, Oh, you can take D ribose for that. I I'm not really sure the reasoning, but I did a little bit more research on D ribose. I'm like, okay, this is, this is something I haven't tried yet. So I ordered the D ribose and I started taking it. And the next day I was like better. I was no longer bedridden. I, I wasn't moving around as much, but I wasn't as severe. So the D ribose is what got me out of that state. Haley, can um, you describe what is D ribose for our listeners? Cause I, everybody listening since that was your game changer, they're going to want to know what is it and how does oh, it work yeah. and what does it do? <laughs> right. That's give right us all the, give us all the deets on this one. <laughs> so, um, I don't really know what D I mean, what I know is that it's, it's a really good form of ATP, um, or like, let me read this bottle, what it says. Okay. Ribose is one of the necessary building blocks for the formation of ATP, the universal energy molecule in the body. Physical stress can deplete ATP um, stores in cardiac and skeletal muscles. Um, and it just goes on. So I was just kind of thinking like, okay, well, these symptoms are obviously from, um, and just kind of reading a little bit of like Dr. Harwitz's books. This is like mitochondrial death, mitochondrial, like my mitochondria are being attacked. My cells have what like heavy metals, mold, you know, microbes, whatever it is in it. Um, basically my mitochondria is the source of my symptoms is what I kind of understood because I felt it most in my legs and I felt it like where there were just pools of muscle in my body. So <laughs> I definitely tried every single potential mitochondria supplement I could. Um, D-ribose being the most functional and then L-carnitine was also a really good one for me, but D-ribose was the, uh, definitely the game changer. Uh, unfortunately, eventually it did stop working. Um, I don't know the science behind that, but your body just kind of like adjusts. And I don't know if Borrelia is just so evil. It just kind of figures out a way to go around it, but, <laughs> but it did help. It did. It did help getting me out of it for sure. But even after it leveled out, I mean, you're still today far better than you were when you were at your worst, right? So I think it maybe stopped mm -hmm. helping, maybe it just sort of plateaued rather than stopped working. Is that, or, or yeah. am I mistaken with that? 
Um, there are days, I mean, I've, I've crashed since then, but I don't stay in the crash or at least maybe I haven't crashed hard enough to get to that point. Um, but if I'm feeling like, you know, even if it's just for a few hours, like, oh my gosh, and I'm scared that I'm back there, I will take the D-ribose and it won't, you know, give me the same effect that it did. Um, actually the first day that I got IVs in, uh, 2021, when I first got sick this time, um, I did an IV and later that night I had so much energy and I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So like, this is working. And then the next day it like, it went away. And then that same day I did that IV again and I never had that same energy and I never like (laughs) got to that point again. So I don't really understand the mechanism or know what the mechanism is, um, for it, but yeah, I think my body just kind of <laughs> overrided it or something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that some of these things are are going to be pieces of the puzzle, but there is no, as we said earlier, magic bullet, right? So I, I still think mm. that was a really integral part of your journey. And now it's, it's elevated you to where you are today. And now you're going to find the next thing to help you get to the next level of your healing journey, right? So yeah. Where are you at today, Haley? I mean, is it are we are we up to the present date? Are you doing anything differently? Are you currently evaluating next steps? You know, give us an idea as to what's going on in your life now. Yeah. So I that after I took the D ribose, I mean, I was just butting heads with my family. Like at this point, you know, we treated the Lyme, we treated this, this isn't what you have. Um, so I went to go stay with a friend in Sacramento for a few months and lived there and um saw some doctors there that, um, you know, just kept me motivated. Um, at that point I was, you know, walking around the house. I was housebound could maybe sit in the car and like walk into a store for about 30 seconds and walk out. I, I, so that was my level of function. I mean, so much better compared to crawling to and from the bathroom, um, which was just atrocious. Um, you know, I, I did go to some, IV clinics. And, you know, I was looking for Lyme specific clinics. Cause at that point I still had not seen a Lyme, seen a Lyme literate doctor. That was my main argument for myself. Well, I haven't seen, I've seen people who like, you know, I, I was referred to the oncologist because when I got the Lyme positive test, he threw his hands up and said, I'm too scared to touch this. This is Lyme. If it is Lyme, I'm not even going to try to, you know, <laughs> go near this. So I was trying to find doctors um, you know, that were Lyme literate. The only thing was, you know, my family was like, okay, but it has to be an MD, a medical doctor, not someone who has a chiropractic license, who just wants to sell you supplements or have you pay a thousand dollars for an IV that you have to get four times a week. That's not going to happen. Um, so the insurance and the financials were a really big part of it. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I was just calling my doctor, you know, back in Reno on the phone, like kind of just like to giving him updates and, um, you know, doing more labs and finding more markers where he was like, you know, I'm just going to refer you to Dr. Kenny, who's at the university. And I, I didn't really think much of it. I still wanted to find a Lyme literate <laughs> doctor. Um, and he was a kind of like a chronic fatigue specialist. So I just didn't want to be told like, Oh, we're back to Epstein bar or what I had heard most in that, in that realm. And, um, you know, a lot of when I had gotten the Lyme diagnosis and like, I went like, Oh, like to the MECFS community to say, Hey guys, like there's a chance that MECFS could be caused by a tick-borne or a spirochete bacteria. I mean, 
it's like it's like walking into a room and saying the most terrible thing like you will get the dirtiest looks you'll be treated awfully um there are people that i know who have mecfs diagnosis who test positive for lyme and then get told that's not real or just don't believe it and are still just like you know haven't even treated it and are still stuck in that vicious cycle so when i was like i kind of was like oh well you know i don't really want to see a chronic fatigue specialist again but when I showed him my labs and he looked at the hygienics test and I was like, okay, well, like, uh, kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. I'm just, I'm ready to be told this isn't a real lab or yeah, you probably had Lyme, but it's not your problem anymore. And he looked at this and he was like, you don't have Lyme. And I was like, okay, here we go. He said, Lyme is Borrelia burgdorferi. You have Borrelia miyamotai. And I was like, why? Like, that's so confusing. And he's like, yeah, I see this all the time. This is textbook to all my literally textbook to all my other patients. It's the IgM positive IgM reactivity, um, while being IgG negative on top of tick-borne relapsing fever being indeterminate, Bartonella being indeterminate, but IgM, because apparently, um, Borrelia miyamotai shares 65% of its DNA with Lyme and tick-borne relapsing fever. So it'll give you those false positive markers. So this whole time I was treating the wrong Borrelia, um, <laughs> which is probably why I wasn't really feeling much symptom relief. So as of now, and it was really hard getting, you know, you know, dealing with doctors and the whole insurance thing and finding the right clinic. But on the 11th, February 11th, um, I'm getting thick line in my arm and starting <laughs> IV antibiotics, um, every single day for six weeks, three different antibiotics. And I had to do tests beforehand to make sure I don't have candida uh, make sure my H. pylori is gone just to make sure, you know, I don't throw antibiotics on top of candida because I'm, I'm, to my understanding, that was implying if I did that, I would probably just die. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, that is going to kill 20%, which is everything outside of the cell. And then following that, I'm not really sure what the antibiotic is, but it's an oral, oral antibiotic that will be um, intercellular. So those are my current plans. That's the current, um, regimen that he's seen the, uh, 44 out of the 45, uh, patients being successful. I mean, I, I'm just so sorry you've had to go through this and you're obviously still in the thick of it, but you've, you've made progress. I just have to ask what caused you to jump into the advocacy community? I mean, here you are on a podcast. We've been talking for hours. I mean, just the fact that you're so well-spoken and that you're, I mean, obviously brilliant, right? I mean, you're a brilliant individual. Why did you decide to jump into the advocacy community while you're still aggressively trying to treat Lyme and give back? I mean, that's that's very, very, we're extremely appreciative of that, right? But it's it's when people are are in your getting into a ne the next level of treatment, they generally don't want to share their story. So first of all, thank you. Second of all, what made you do this? So, you know, come into the community, share your story and to advocate to help others. I mean, it's just very commendable, but- uh, you know, what triggered that in you? Um, well, I mean, thank you so much. And to be un unfortunately frank here, I'm angry. Like I'm, I'm extremely pissed off. I'm 24 years old and, you know, had a, my life taken away from me and the curriculum that they're just teaching doctors in medical school hasn't changed since the seventies. There's maybe like, I don't know, six bullet points on a slide about, you know, Lyme disease. Oh, look for a bullseye rash, joint pain, 
10 days of doxycycline. Anything after that is, you know, mental, refer them to someone else, refer them to someone else. So I think, you know, there's great doctors. I mean, the U S is what number one, number two, when it comes to emergency medicine, I want to be here. If I have to have heart surgery, if my appendix bursts, if I need to have my gallbladder removed, but when it comes to chronic illness, like we drop down on the list to the thirties. Um, and I, I, I'm just, frankly, I'm pissed off about it. I mean, there are so many people suffering with this and so many people who probably have tick-borne illness who don't even know and are being diagnosed with other things. And we're all just told that we're crazy. And, you know, there's no, there's no safety net. You know, if, if I had my appendix rupture, I could go to the hospital, but I can't go to the hospital with this because doctors don't know what to do. So I, I don't feel I, I just don't feel safe with our, with our current, like medical Western medicine infrastructure. You have to go digging for the year and a half that I did to find maybe one doctor who's going to give you that light at the end of the tunnel, but this isn't mainstream. This isn't mainstream information. And I mean, <laughs> you know, hopefully my career as an actress pursues, and maybe I'm accepting an Oscar one day. And I feel so bad for the Academy because I'm going to be like, thank you for the Oscar, by the way let's talk about this very important subject, which is like, I mean, the fastest growing disease that we have, like, why is no one <laughs> saying anything about this? We're all dropping like flies and no one's blinking an eye. I just, before Danny jumps in, we've, you've been so gracious with your time, Haley, but Danny's going to jump in and ask you the final question on this podcast. But I just want to, again, I just feel so grateful and I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. And I just feel so hopeful because to have somebody of your intelligence and your motivation and your determination and your skill set fighting and advocating for this community makes me feel even more confident that we're going to make progress in the coming years. So I just want you to know we think you're very special and that with your support and advocacy, we know we're going to continue to make a lot of progress in raising awareness and making real change in this community. So thank you for coming out so early while you're still fighting this disease to help us in this fight in raising awareness advocating and influencing change in in the Lyme community so I just really really from the from the bottom of our hearts we want to say thank you and I'm going to hand it over to, to Danny before I get too mushy but thank you thank you so <laughs> thank much you. Haley. thank you <laughs> so Haley I am absolutely enamored and I love the fact that you had this dream of acting you pursued it I, I would say you achieved it you're still doing it and now it's almost evolved into where you have this new dream right and you want to accept your award and simultaneously advocate for a lot. Like I'm literally getting teary eyed. I'm like, I love this girl. <laughs> like you are like as a woman with Lyme in the, it's just, it's so inspiring. It's so exciting. I love it. We're both super sick, but yet like we're still fighting it. And I'm totally inspired by where you're at now and where you're going and that you're not letting go of that dream. You were in a place where you were ready to just give up and, and end your life. Like in mentally, that was your state. And I've been there as well. And so to see where you are today, maybe you're not fully healed. You're not fully in remission, but you still are holding on to that hope. And you still have that passion, that drive. That is absolutely like, I'm like getting like totally choked up. So <laughs> before we get too um, emotional about it, you know, other than anger being a little bit of a motivating factor, which is totally understandable. I just want to know, um, you know, you're so smart and everything that you're discussing in terms of, you know, the medical part of it, but I just want you to, if you feel comfortable, just open up your heart a little bit and just speak to, you know, just spiritually and emotionally and mentally, 
what is it that keeps you going? What is it that keeps you motivating? And, you know, you were speaking to the fact that you don't even really have a lot of other, you know, advocates for you personally in your own life. And I cannot imagine how challenging that is to not have that support. And as powerful and as independent as you are, I know that that's a huge factor. So I just want to know how your heart is feeling. Um, how did it bring you to this point? What keeps you going? So if you could share a little bit about that, I, I really want to know. Oh man. I mean, for me, I mean, for me, it is God. I, and that sounds, I, I know people might hear that and think, oh, okay, well, you know, roll eyes a little bit. Here we go again. But I mean, truthfully, like, even though I have seen those worst times during this downtime, like if I were um, busy and, you know, doing my, like, you know, if I were acting or had booked, you know, a bigger show, or I, I don't know what I was being protected from. I don't know if something bad or worse would have happened there. Um, yeah, actually, <laughs> uh, being sick, I met my now boyfriend, who's just the absolute love of my life and has been an absolute blessing. Um, and I would not have had that opportunity if I didn't get sick. Um, my mom and I's relationship now, my family's relationship is the strongest it's ever been. And they're more on board than anything. And that would not have happened if I did not get sick. And so there are a lot of things that kind of tied together in a very, you know, spiritual way, like undeniably God. I mean, there's a small story here, but, um, I had called, uh, a Lyme clinic and I was just like, this was my last hurrah. Like, okay maybe I can try to see this Lyme literate doctor. And I called them and I spoke to the assistant. She was so great and so wonderful. And, um, she was like, Oh yeah, no, like this, this is Lyme. And then I told my mom about it and she's like, yeah, well, like, you know, I'll think about it. And then weeks later, I just was, you know, I'm in Sacramento, she's in Reno and I texted her and I was like, I really want to go to that clinic. And she calls me 30 seconds later and is like, Oh my God, you'll have no idea who we're sitting next to at this restaurant. And it was that woman that I'd spoke to on the phone at that Lyme clinic. Cause I was like, I really do believe it is Lyme. Like, I believe this is like tick-borne. I say Lyme, um, even though it's brilliant mean motai, but tick-borne, the tick-borne realm. And, um, I, I don't know in that moment, like, I was just like, okay, I feel God working. Like I feel God, like showing me the road. I feel God, like not letting me go astray and be like, Oh, well, let's go diagnose you with something else. Like kind of bringing me back to, um, you know, the tick illness realm. That was definitely all God guiding me. So spiritually, I have that to be most grateful for. Um, and yeah, even though it sounds like I was just kind of <laughs> bashing on my family, how it is now is just, I mean, I, I wouldn't change a single thing. Well, Haley, Go ahead. You are, you are the, I'm sorry. I'm getting all emotional. I mean, this is like, you are... Danny and I are both people of faith as well. And I don't think we'd be able to be where we are today if it weren't for our faith and our belief in God. And obviously you share that belief. And it's just something I think that has helped us get through the worst of it. And we know all this is working together for a better cause. I mean, we're here today. This podcast has reached, you know, at this point, over a million people in the last three years. And we're helping people get through these this horrible journey. So I think this is our calling. I think that, you know, us coming together is not a coincidence. And I'm just so, again, I feel so blessed to have you on this podcast, to have Danny as a friend and now have you, Haley, as a friend, and to be able to work together to keep helping people in this community get through the worst times of their lives. So I just... I, before I, Danny, I think you want to say something. I'm sorry. I'm just getting mushy. So I, I will, I will stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
am too. As if we don't all have Lyme brain already. And then we're like getting, (laughs) (laughs) but I appreciate so much that you shared that. And honestly, like the minute you said that it made so much sense, just like your, your presence, your presence and your grace and just your kindness, even to come in and, and share with us. And I feel the same way. It's like, I have, you know, I was just telling Matt, it's like the doctor I spoke to yesterday is like, why aren't you more angry? Like you should be so mad with how sick you are and you're so young. And I'm like, well, I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. So I feel a little bit different about it because I have (laughs) a different perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think even with your family too, that's a really common situation. I mean, so many people, um, I know even like just woman to woman, it's like, a lot of times relationships are broken because there's not enough support there. There's not enough understanding. It takes a lot of patience to live out uh, life with this disease, just for us personally, but also for our, our partners and the people who love us and who care about us. It can be just so painful that sometimes it comes across as, you know, um, anger or they're not being supportive or they're not believing us or not understanding, but sometimes it's just too hard to accept. It's just too hard to see people that we love fighting for something, especially, you know, for people like you and I that are fighting so hard, it's really hard, but I am absolutely loving that you found love through all this. billions like I'm so happy for you I'm so excited and I just want to end this podcast by of course thanking you so much Haley for just opening up so many parts of yourself um sharing this giving us hope and inspiration and I know that through our faith we know that you know we are enough we are loved, we are cared for, we're created with a purpose and with a destiny. And I thank you for not giving up on that. I thank you for believing in that and trusting in that. And uh, for everything that you shared with us today, I just thank you so much. And I'm so excited I met you. And I can't thank you so, so much. much. <laughs> you guys are so great. And I cannot wait to see your movie. I am so excited. So for all <laughs> thank you. In theaters, go and see this gorgeous, gorgeous girl and how talented she is. I, I'm so excited and I can't thank you enough, Haley. <laughs> thank you oh my gosh we're gonna get all teary-eyed <laughs> i echo danny's comments that we're going to be putting a link to your movie in the show notes so we encourage everybody listening to take a look at the link in the show notes for the movie link to go see Haley in this awesome movie and i just again Haley, thank you so much for coming on this podcast danny thank you for just being such a great friend and being an amazing co-host and I want to tell everybody listening that, Haley, if you're willing, this will not be the last thing we do together to advocate because you are a force to be reckoned with. And we want to partner with you to do more advocacy and awareness work in this community. So stay tuned, everybody. And thank you so much, Haley, for joining our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Haley Hecking. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Haley, visit her Instagram at Haley Hecking. It's H-A-L-E-I-G-H-H-E-K-K-I-N-G. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by our podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. 
And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of almost 350 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.